can grab a seat. All right, well, if you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you to open it up or scroll to it, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to be picking verse 19. And by the way, I prefer paper Bibles. I know you can use your phones if you want or whatever you got. It's just not the same, though. It's just not the same. I've tried Kindle. I really have. It makes a lot of sense financially, right? Just space savings. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, If you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles, it's going to be on page 876. 876. Now, before we go there, I need to explain a little bit about what we are going to be doing today. Now, as it's already been, you know, Uh, talked about and prayed about, uh, we are going to be preaching about hell this morning. But I need to explain that it's not, you know, if you're visiting or maybe you've just started coming the last few months, to know that that's not our typical diet when it comes to preaching. Our typical diet when it comes to preaching is simply picking a book and then walking through it line by line, verse by verse, right, chapter by chapter. You guys have heard me talk about that quite a bit. Where really the sermon is based off of one particular passage And you are unpacking that for us to learn and grow in our knowledge of God's word. Uh, Theologians refer to that type of preaching as expositional preaching. Expositional preaching. I think it's a very helpful uh, style of preaching that the church should uh, basically strive for most of the time. Now, the other approach to preaching is known as topical preaching. Right, which we have done here at Carson Valley Bible, where you, instead of choosing one text to walk through, you're choosing one topic to walk through. And so you're pulling basically all of what the Bible says about a particular topic, from Genesis to Revelation at times, and, and kind of trying to unpack that for us to learn. We do that through sermons like today. We even done sermon series that are topical. And I think those are helpful, especially when we need to walk through something as a church. You know, if, or if there's just something that we need to learn or to grow in or maybe be encouraged by. Right? And that's why when we get to our Advent series, even though it's going to be a little bit expositional, it's, it is topical. We're going to be talking about the coming of Christ. And remembering in his first coming when Jesus came and was born in a manger. Now, this week is hell. So we are talk, we're doing a topical sermon series, basically. It's two weeks. Hell and heaven. I put heaven on hell, try to trick you guys to come to the heaven sermon and not bounce on the hell sermon. No, it's, that's just the way I wrote it. Uh, but it is important for you guys to, if you can, to be here for both weeks, right? Because you need both. We need, we need bad news and we also need good news. Both are important for whether you are a Christian or not for you to, to understand. And I'm glad that each and every one of you guys are here this morning. Especially when we do consider the topic at hand. And by the way, this is not, I didn't just randomly just choose this because I thought it was going to be a good idea. Or I had a couple of weeks before our Advent sermon series began and I'm like, you know what? What are the church growth magazines saying that a pastor should preach on before Christmas to really grow the church? I can tell you, those encouragements were not to preach on hell. You will not find that anywhere in any church growth magazine. However, I do think that there is a lot of good reasons why we need to take a sober look 
at a topic like this. Let me share some of those reasons. First, it's a biblical priority. The Bible is, is repeatedly talking about hell and eternity all over the place. All over the place. In fact, and we will see many examples of this, Jesus actually talked about hell more than any other person in the New Testament. Think of all the writings of Paul, all the writings of Peter, all the writings of John, all the writings of, of some of the other authors of the New Testament. No one spoke about hell more than Jesus did. So we, I think we should ask the question, if, if Jesus thought this was important, so should I. Or should I? So it's of biblical importance. It's also of intrinsic importance. And here's what I mean by that. Death is not a spectator sport. Meaning that death comes for us all, right? At some point, we are going to have to participate in that. That unless unless Jesus comes back, we are all going to die one day. And the Bible is very clear that there's only two places that human beings go to after a physical death here on earth, and that is hell and heaven. Hell and heaven. And some people are scared to death about dying, right? They're scared to death about dying. And why is that? Because they don't know where they're going. And so they should be scared. I would be scared if I had no hope, if I had no confidence in what was waiting for me after. And in our culture, I think... When it comes to the topics of eternity and, and really heaven and hell in particular, it's often mocked, is it not? It's often mocked or belittled or just outright ignored, right? If you, can, you could watch any, any sitcom or any movie, their portrayal of heaven or hell is usually way off base, completely inaccurate. Something that usually I want nothing to be a part of. And so I think it's helpful for us to walk through this. Because we need to know the reality of both. We need to know what does the Bible actually say when it comes to this topic. Which leads me to point number three. Of why we should study this. Because if we're going to be a faithful family of God. If we're going to be a faithful group of Christians. And especially as, right, as we're coming into that Advent season. Right? And, and, and for those of you who are new who have not been with us during an Advent season. It's a big deal for us. Right? We, we, we decorate, we really try to transform this place to really get our minds and our hearts ready to just remember Christ coming and Christ coming again. In order for us to actually celebrate Advent in a way that I think we, that we are called to celebrate and remember Jesus as Savior, we need to know what we've been saved from. We need to know why do we call him a Savior. That's what we're trying to do. To really understand the desperateness of us. That before Jesus was born, what was, what was going on in the hearts of people? The hearts of sinners. What were they hoping in? What were they worried about? This just all leads into what I believe is just going to help us rightly worship this Advent season. Right? As we open maybe presents up, right? You know, put Christmas trees up. It'll put a different perspective on the significance of Jesus coming. So we're going to talk about hell, particularly today. Heaven will be next week, but today is hell. Or as I was taught, I think likely influenced by the Disney Channel, H-E double hockey sticks. Okay. But what does the Bible 
say about hell. Now, as always, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to pray one more time. I'm going to pray for you that you'd be able to receive this. Because I know, even as I've just began the introduction, you're already kind of like, ah, I wish it wasn't a hell sermon. <laughs> All right? Oh, man, well, I'm glad I didn't invite my best friend today. Well, we'll see if, that's, if this is something that we need to walk through regularly. Because I don't, here's the honest truth. One is I've never preached on hell particularly like this. I don't even remember actually hearing a sermon on hell growing up. And I may have, but it's often ignored or at least just kind of scooted around because it's a tough subject, right? We don't like to think about tough things, but it's important for us to do so. So let's pray one more time. I'll pray for you if you pray for me, and then we'll jump into the Bible. Well, Father, I'm, I'm thankful that even as I stand here and, I'm, and I walk through what you say about eternity and what you say about punishment and what you say about justice, God, I, I pray that you would just take your words, your truth, and that you would, through your spirit, Lord, that you would illuminate the hearts of the men and women in this room and even those who are listening online. God, that you would allow us just to see just a, the stark reality of, of what you communicate about eternal punishment. But God, we want to, I want to do it in a way that is also faithful to, to you and to your gospel. And God, I desperately need help in that. But God, I pray for, for all the men and women in this room. God, I pray for our kiddos in the room next door as, as they're just learning about the truth of who you are and, and how much you love them and, and desire for them to know you. And God, help us. Help us this morning. It's in your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and we're going to be picking up in verse 19. Verse 19, it's when Jesus is basically telling this story about about hell and what are some of the realities of that. So let me go ahead and just read verse 19 through the end of the chapter. This is Jesus speaking. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in the like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 
He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yeah, we're thankful for God's word. So in this story of Jesus, of the rich man Lazarus, Jesus tells of this place called Hades. Hades, where the rich man was. So the first thing that I want to to show you guys from the word of God is that hell is a real place. A real place. Now the Bible has a couple of names for hell. A couple of different names the way that it describes it. In the Old Testament, it's often referred to as Sheol or the grave. In the New Testament, it's called Hades. Or Jesus would also often call it Gehenna because he was using a word picture. Uh, Gehenna was a place in the valley of Hinnon. It was basically this giant dump where people would take their, their trash and their disposables. And it, it, it was this giant place where there was this fire that was constantly burning and consuming this trash. And Jesus would refer to Gehenna as hell to give, basically give the visual learners in front of Jesus a, a, a word picture of that is what hell is like. A place of destruction, of fire. A pit of misery. Uh, Demons would refer to hell as the abyss. The abyss. And in the book of Revelation, it's called the lake of fire. The lake of fire. Those are a couple different names. But here's what I want you guys to really understand and really be able to see. Is that hell is a real place. That whenever Jesus talked about hell, and as I mentioned, he talked about hell a lot comparatively. Whenever he talked about hell, he never talked about it like it was some kind of symbolic or theoretical place. He always referred to it as a real place where real people were at. Now, to be fair, some of the descriptions that we do have of hell are, are very, have very colorful language. Very colorful language. But in no way should that colorful language in which Jesus describes hell should lead us to think that Jesus was not talking about a real place. A real place. But not just a real place, but a dreadful place. A terrible place. Even in our text in Luke, when the rich man describes himself of being in in Hades, he describes it as he's in anguish. He's in anguish by the flame that he is not able to cool his tongue at all based off of where he's at. In Matthew 8, 12, in Jesus describing hell, he says, it's an outer darkness. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or let me show you this. I have a slide for this from the Gospel of Mark. Where Jesus is also talking about hell. Mark 9, 46 through 47. Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And here's the description. Where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah right there. So it's a real place. It's a dreadful place. It's a place of great pain and agony, church. Now, we don't know fully what that will look like. We're we're trying to piece together a lot of different uh, language that the Bible uses. But here's what I think is really plain. That there's going to be physical, emotional, and spiritual pain in hell. Deep Physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. Constant weeping, it says. Gnashing of teeth. 
right? And what does that mean? What does it mean to gnash teeth? Well, maybe, maybe compare it to grinding your teeth. Maybe compare it to when you are in so much pain, church, that you can't even muster words besides clench your jaws and let streams of tears fall down your cheeks because of what you're going through. Constant weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where it also, Jesus says, that you cannot get away from the flames. Physical flames are not. I think Jesus makes his point very clear that there's going to be a great amount of pain and anguish. And I think why the, the Bible uses the language of flames and fire to talk about just torment is because for those of you who, who know or have been around fire in your life, you know what can come from fire and the damage that it can have. Some of you very drastically know what the pain of fire can be to your own body when you can't get away from it, when you can't get away from the heat and you just feel like it's going to swallow you up and you want to die so the pain would end. The Bible says, but there will never be an end. So physically, it's horrible. There's great pain. But it gets even worse. Hell is also a place where you experience the utter lostness of the presence of God. Now let me show you this. This is from Paul. He's writing to the church in Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians. He says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So not only is there there physical pain, but there's this spiritual pain, this separation from God's presence. Now, some people have misunderstood this a little bit, saying that this means that, that God is not anywhere to be found, or that God has fully abandoned you. Has disregarded you. That's not really what is going on when, when Paul is describing this. Because the truth is that God is in just as much in charge of hell as he is in heaven. So what does this, this lostness of the presence of God actually mean? It means all the goodness that comes from God is removed. All the goodness that comes from God is removed. Meaning all the good things that both Christians and non-Christians experience in this world because of the presence of God is removed, is removed. Let me give you an example of this. I remember in high school church, I, I, read, a, I read a book. It was just a, a novel, and I can't remember the author's name, but I remember the title very well. And the title of the book was, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Now, I didn't really quite realize at the time of just the horrendousness of what I was reading, because it was basically this, this gentleman, this guy, who was bragging about all of the ways that he had abused women, all the ways that he had abused uh, drugs and alcohol or people for his own gain and his own satisfaction. And so basically it was a memoir of all the things that he had done that he was very proud of, all the ways that he had manipulated people, all the ways that he had been about himself. And he rightly concluded, hey, my actions deserve punishment. But he did it in a way as, he thought that hell was just going to be a place or an extension of really what his life was now. And so he said, I hope they serve beer in hell, like it was some kind of big party. Well, it's not. It's not. There is no beer in hell. There's also no laughter. There is no joy. 
There's no feeling of the sun on your face. There's no smiles. There's no rainbows. There's no smells like the smell of sagebrush after it rains. All the goodness of God, just being a a creator and letting us experience the common grace of God in everyday things, that will be removed in the depths of hell. That's what it means to lose the presence of God. So, and although we like to joke about hell, our culture likes to joke about hell, it is not some extension of life on earth. It is not a big party in which you attend and you can continue to do what you've always done. It's a dreadful, real place. It's also an everlasting place, church. An everlasting place. The Bible calls it eternal destruction. A place of eternal fire. A place of eternal punishment. The Bible Bible repeatedly speaks about that hell is forever, church. That it's forever. A punishment that lasts forever. In the Luke passage which we read, right, one of the things that Abraham used to explain to the rich man is that it's a great chasm that's always, that's been fixed forever, that you cannot change where you are at. It is forever. Now, some have said, and even some, honestly, some pretty smart uh, biblical scholars have said that, you know, hell, it seems like, there's no way that punishment could last forever. At some point, you probably burn up. Or are annihilated, cease to exist. But friends, I wanna I wanna tell you the Bible seems to be repeatedly clear that the the torment of hell, the punishment of hell is eternal. And eternal by definition means that it's endless. It's endless. So even when you see the language that they were destroyed, it doesn't mean destroyed in the fullest sense. It means all the good things in which you, you once enjoyed are being destroyed because you are being punished. I think this should bring us a great amount of sobriety this morning, shouldn't it? Right? Our minds, our hearts, as we're just kind of you know, peeling back the curtains and looking into a depth of a place that we don't like to look into very often. And I'll tell you, this has been a tough week for me in my own study of this. It's difficult to think through what eternal punishment actually will look like or be experienced by some. There's even a quote I want to show you because this quote when I was reading, it just stopped me dead in my tracks. It it, it made me honestly just weep at my own desk. Especially since we just finished going through the the book of Philippians and we finished going through what, what joy is, what eternal joy is for the Christian. Look at this. This is from Edward Donnelly. He says, just as the joys of heaven are eternal, so are the pains of hell. Just as the joys of heaven, the joys in which we talk about, the joys in which we cling to, the joy of eternality with God. He's saying, that same longing that you have, that goodness that you have, that security that you have, for those outside of Christ, that's going to be the pains of hell forever and ever and ever. It's a sobering. It's a very sobering quote. So it's real. It's dreadful. It's everlasting. So why does hell exist? Right? Why, why does the Bible speak about this place? Why is it necessary for us to reveal what did Jesus have to say about hell? 
Why does hell exist? Well, hell exists because God is just, church. Hell exists because God is just. It exists because God will not let sin and rebellion go unpunished. In fact, he would not be a good God, church, if hell did not exist. In the same way as we wouldn't think a judge was good if he just heard about all the atrocities that were happening in the community in which he lived in. People being murdered, people being abused, people being raped and saying, you know what? Those crimes that they committed, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to let them continue to do whatever they want to do. We would say that's not a just thing to do. You cannot let rule breaking go unpunished. And how much more is that when it comes to the reality of who God is? Because hell exists because God is the most just person in the world. He does not, where some sins in our context, in our community, will go unpunished because they will not be seen by others. That is not true of God. He sees everything. He sees the heart behind it. And so it's a place where retribution happens. Not remediation. Remediation means that you work yourself out of something, right? You pay for it. Where retribution is what you are paying for, what the consequences are. And according to the Bible, the consequences of sin against an infinite God is infinite punishment. So that is why hell exists. Because God has to punish sin. He wouldn't be a good God if he let sin go unpunished. So who's going to be there then? Who's going to be there? Well, the Bible is clear that Satan will be there. Be there. Right? Our great enemy. Revelation 20.10 says this. It's not on the screen, but just listen. On the final day of judgment, Revelation 20, it says, God is going to take Satan, our great enemy, and throw him into the lake of fire. And he will be tormented day and night forever and ever, church. God wins. God wins. Demons are going to be there too. It's why when Jesus was casting out demons in the, at the beginning of his ministry, if you remember this from our time in the Gospel of Mark, when, when Jesus would cast out a demon, do you guys remember what the demon would say to Jesus? Please do not cast me into the abyss yet. Is this the day? See, demons know that their judgment day is coming. And so they said, don't cast me into the abyss yet. But not if Jesus was going to, but when. So demons are going to be there. And lastly, church, people are going to be there. People are going to be there. Let's go back to that Second Thessalonian passage and just walk back one more verse to verse 8. And let me show you this from, from Paul in speaking about hell. He says, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So who are, who, who's Paul talking about? People that have suppressed the truth. Who have turned their backs on God and said, I do not need you, need you. I'm not even going to act like you exist in this world. And it says that those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus doesn't mean people who have become Christians and have sinned and lost their salvation. That's not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about people who pretended to know Christ, pretended to know the gospel pretended that Jesus was their Savior, but never their Lord. 
Really, it's what the Bible calls unsaved or the lost. So Paul is saying that the lost or the unsaved will be there. And we have to take note as that should be all of us, right? Because no one is righteous, right? We've all done that. We've all pretended like God does not exist. We've all pretended like, like Jesus is our Savior, but not our Lord at times. And so we all deserve this. And I'll get to why that isn't the case in a moment. But some have, honestly, they've pushed back and they've pushed back hard saying, I don't think this is just. I don't think this is just that hell would exist because I'm not that bad. And you're telling me that I'm going to be going to hell if I don't believe in Christ? You're telling me that my small sins here on earth are worthy of eternal punishment and damnation? Well, according to, not me, but yeah, God. God says that. He's the judge of that. I'm not. It's not up for us to determine what are the rules and boundaries of what is just and what is not just. We're not the perfect justice people. God is. He's the perfect judge. And one of the most important aspects when it comes to what is the worthy penalty of a crime is often who it is against. Much like it is in our country. Right? You may not go to jail if you were to walk up here right now and punch me in the face. Don't do that. We have security. Just saying. They will take you out. But if you were to walk up here and punch me in the face, you probably won't go to jail. You probably will not go to jail. And you certainly probably won't go to prison for the rest of your life. But what if you did that to the president? What if you did that to the Queen of England? Different story, right? Right? In much of human history, if you were to walk up to, to someone in that type of power and punch them in the face, what would happen to you? You would be killed for that crime. So if we take that one necessary step further, if we rebel and reject the most high being, highest authority, infinite person in all of the world, the God Almighty, and assault him, who are we to say what the right punishment should be for that? So even though you may think that your sins are small, you have to realize that they were against an almighty, infinite God. And the only right retribution would be infinite punishment for it. And so hell will be full of people who marched right towards it, church. Not because they wanted hell, right? I don't think anybody wants hell. But they want sin more than they want Christ, right? They want to be God in their life rather than be in submission to the God who is. Nobody wants hell. But they want sin more than they want God. And so they reject the very one who came to save them from their sin. Now this is where it gets incredibly difficult for me, church. And I have really deep anguish in my soul because of it. Because I know that there's many around us, right? Maybe in this room, but certainly in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, whom we love dearly. And they're walking this path of destruction. They're walking towards the bench where they are going to hear the justice that's going to come down. Jonathan Edwards in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he compares it to walking across the pit of hell on a rotten covering, not knowing when the next step will be your last. So where do we go from here then? 
right? If that's the reality of hell, if that's who's there, if that's how long it's going to be, where do we go from here? Because I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like saying, let's pray and go to lunch. I have no appetite right now. And I hope not for you too. And so we have to remind ourselves then, why is this necessary for us to think about but also take the next step in scripture in the way that the bible takes the next step because the bible although it casts this gloomy picture right of eternal destruction jesus does not stop talk in talking about hell he starts talking about himself right the very person who talked about hell the most is also the person that said but i've come i have come to save you from that reality sinner I have come to redeem you out of what you justly deserve. And that's where the good news of the gospel comes into play. He came to be basically thrown up on a cross so he would endure the just punishment that is coming for sinners like you and I. And so there's the only way that we can actually talk about hell is to talk about the cross. Or to put it another way, if we don't talk about the cross, we lose hell. Or if we don't talk about hell, we'll lose the cross. Because they go hand in hand for the Christian. Because Jesus did not go to the cross, right, to be an example of living a sacrificial life. Right? He didn't go to the cross because there was a mix-up of justice between the Jews and Romans. It was so much bigger than that. And many of you know it, but let me just remind your own hearts and minds this morning that Jesus went to bear that wrath of God, the wrath that's coming for those who die in their sins, right? Died never repenting of it, died never acknowledging that Christ is Lord and Savior. The wrath that's coming to them for all eternity. Church, you realize that that's the same wrath that Jesus bore on the cross when he became a substitute for you and I. Absolutely mind-blowing. To think that everything in which I deserve for all of eternity, Jesus endured on the cross in a matter of hours to save my soul. That's good news. That is really good news for us this morning. That we don't have to just say hell is bad. Hell is just. Hell is forever. And there's no hope. Jesus came to save us. From what? From wrath and hell. From wrath and hell. And I pray that's true of every single one of us this morning. That we have turned from our sin, right? We've turned from that path of destruction. We turn from walking down the aisle towards the bench of the just judge and saying, I need somebody else. And Jesus stopping before we get to the bench and saying, I'm going to take it for them. Punish me, not him. Punish me, not her. That's the truth of of the gospel. That's why it's good news. That's why we have to tell people about what Jesus has done. Because we know the reality of what it's going to be like without him. Because there's many ways that we could stand guilty before God, right? We all sin differently. We all sin in the same ways, but we all sin differently. So there's many different ways in which God is going to be just in his judgment against our sin. But the truth of the gospel is, but there's only one way to be saved from that judgment, and that is through the cross. So when we say, church, or when I say from the pulpit, that Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death, the death in which I'm talking about is the ultimate death. 
or what the Bible, book of Revelation says is the second death, the death of punishment, the death of judgment, where we're talking about where we're not cast into the lake of hell. That's the second death. But for the Christian, you are ushered into the presence of God forever and ever. And how did that happen for you? Right? How did that happen for you? What did God use in your life to reveal this to you? Because I know for many of you, this is not the first time you have heard about the gospel, right? Or the first time that you have heard about hell. So what did God use to teach you about who he is and what he's done and what the reality is about hell? Well, let's go back to the gospel of Luke. I think we'll see the answer there. Luke chapter 16, and I'm going to look at verses 30 and 31. When the rich man is begging, right? He's begging. He's begging that heaven would tell his brothers about the reality of what is coming. Right? Begging. Send somebody. Right? Send Lazarus. That would probably make a really big impact on them. You sent someone who was dead but is now alive. The side of Abraham, which is really just a, a language to talking about heaven. And what is, what is Abraham in this story? What does he say to the rich man? He says, no, he doesn't, they don't need, he doesn't need Lazarus. Your brothers don't need Lazarus to come. They already have been sent someone. He says, they have been sent Moses and the prophets to communicate to them. What's Moses and the prophets? That's the word of God. It's how the Bible basically summarizes the Old Testament. And we also know this from Jesus. Who were Moses and the prophets talking about? They were talking about him. They were getting people to understand who Jesus was, who the Messiah was. And so in this story, we see God has given us the very means in which to tell people about the realities of hell, but also the goodness of Christ and salvation. And that is, we have the word of God. That we don't have to go, I hope one day they understand. I hope one day they, they somehow have this experiential uh, situation and, and they realize that hell is bad, but Jesus is better. No. Even though that can happen, God can do that. The primary way that he's given us, church, to communicate this reality is to preach the word of God, to preach about Christ, to tell people about him, to tell people that Jesus is a savior, but a savior from what? That's our job. That's what we're going for. So we invite people to hear the word of God preached, don't we? Right? We, that's why we're doing those invite cards. Not because we have some special event for them to attend, but because we desperately want them to hear about the word of God. We want to hear that Jesus came to save them. And maybe this is a wake-up call for you today where you're realizing for the first time the depths of hell. And I would encourage you to use what God is using just through his word today to bring you to an honest evaluation of what do you think about Christ? What do you think he actually saves from? What do you actually think that you're in need of being saved from? In church, as hard as it has been, I hope that pulling back that curtain, pulling back the horrors of hell and allowing us to peer in this morning has caused that sobriety to our souls and going, I am so thankful for Christ. 
I'm so thankful that he came. I'm so thankful for what he did on the cross. What I could not do to myself. The only way that I could pay for my sins is an eternity of, of destruction. And even let the depths of hell remind us that God is in complete control. Hell is not outside of God. God is in control there too. He's in complete control. And so if he came to save you from that destruction, church, if he came to save you from that punishment, can you trust him today in whatever you're going on in your life? Yeah, you can. If he was willing to come and save you from that he is a good and just God that will bring you through whatever you have going on now. Because the truth is, is this is as bad as it's going to get for you, Christian. God has not abandoned you yet or will never abandon you at all. And you can take his faithfulness even to past death, towards that second death. And you can press on to this world knowing that even if it's tough, it is as bad as it's going to get for you. And next week, we're going to look at the splendor of the gift of heaven. Right? We're going to look at the splendor that even though that, uh, you know, God saved us from hell, he also saved us to something for eternity. And I'm excited to get there. But I think we're going to miss the moment of which God, I think, has placed us as a church to be in this morning if we don't let those realities of hell and the realities of the good news of the gospel sink deep in this morning. And I pray that you would do that with me with the rest of today. Not a, not a doom and gloom, right? I'm not asking you to go out of here like an Eeyore Christian. I'm saying walk out of here just knowing and being thankful for a God who saves you. And if you're not sure where you're at today, I would love to talk to you, right? I'm, I'm available after every you know, sermon you know, right here at the front of the stage, whether you need just a prayer request or if this has been something you go, I don't know if where I'm going after I die. I want to talk to you about that because that's really important. It's a good question to ask. And it's okay if you're not quite sure. The Bible is clear and I can help you walk through that today. But I, I pray for every single one of us that we'd be able just to respond with the rest of today with adoration. We're going to sing one more song, right? We're going to, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer and we're going to go about the rest of our Sunday afternoon. But we're going to do so a little bit changed when we first walked in, I think. A little bit more humbled. A little bit more sober in the heart and soul than I think when we first came in. I know it's certainly for me. So let's go ahead and just end there if you just join me in a word of prayer. Well, Father, I thank you. I thank you so much that even though like, this has been one of the hardest sermons for me to really think through and prepare, just knowing the depth of the reality of what is at stake, Lord, I thank you that you did not leave my own soul and my own studies without hope. And you're not going to leave this church without hope. You're not going to leave anybody in this room that wants to come to you and have assurance in you without hope. And so every single one of us can pray, can thank you, can take refuge in you, knowing of all of what we have been saved from. God, thank you. Thank you for being a just God, but thank you for giving sinners like me 
a way to experience you and your goodness forever and ever. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.